and you feel like God is giving everyone this gift that you're praying for that he doesn't want to give you. And it can make you think because God is cruel because he doesn't like you and your thoughts just go crazy. And what I realized is like God is good. And so anything in your life that happens to you or that you go through, you have to look at it through the context of God is good and he's good at being God and he's a good father. And so there's something in your life he's trying to do. It might not be out here, but it's in here. I believe God put a specific light in your heart for a purpose, for you to shine it into this world in a way that nobody else can. A light that is unique as the print on your finger. And our job is to take that light and go love people with it in this world. Everywhere you go, you have a ministry. You don't just have to be a preacher to have a ministry. Your light is your ministry. It's how you shine it at your job, at your family, at the dinner table with your friends, at the movies, at the park, at your apartment. Everywhere you go, you are made to shine your light. Do it, be it, love people, be kind, honor them, honor yourself. This is made to shine. It's me. We are actually on my other couch right now. I tried. Listen, I get it. I listened to a lot of the the feedback and I understand lighting is not great when I sit on the floor. I get it. And I, I tried. I tried to move to my other this. I guess this is more of like a sectional. I'm not really sure. Um, but there's just something about sitting on the floor that makes me enjoy these my heart tours thursdays even more um have y'all ever been i'm like freezing but i just sat in front of my space heater and now i'm it's like the bottom my my legs are burning up they feel like furnace status but then this part up is freezing it's just very interesting very interesting all that to say how are you Check in with yourself. How are you feeling? I I always say this and I mean it. I don't think we do that enough with ourselves. I don't think we check in with ourselves enough. I um I'm going through a season right now where I mean, I think one would classify me as a very introspective person as is. My parents always joked growing up, I loved being by myself so much they didn't know how to punish me because the punishment in our household was to send to be sent to your room. And so when I was in trouble and they'd be like, you got to go to your room. I'd be like, okay, I'll go to my room. And then they couldn't get me out of my room because I just, I love being alone with my thoughts so much. That all to say, I'm going through like an extra introspective period right now. And I just realized, man, how rare is it that I actually just say any, what's going on, girl? Like, how are you feeling? How are you really feeling? Um, I was thinking the other day, we live in a world that's so, I mean, it's like, how are you is the go-to question, almost up there with what do you do for work when you're at like a party getting to know somebody. And I think we do that, how are you stint with ourselves, you know? Like we think we've asked ourselves that question, but we really haven't, not really. 
Like we know something's bothering us, but we don't sit with it long enough to know what exactly is bothering us. I don't mean your boss was a jerk. I don't mean your job is annoying you. I don't mean your friend said something rude. I mean the underlying thing that whatever out here came at hit in here. I don't think we sit with that enough. And so I've been trying to do that more. And honestly, it's freaking hard. It's hard. It's hard to sit with yourself. It's a lot harder than I thought. The other day I um, was just sitting and I have to set a timer for myself or else I won't do it. So I set a timer for myself and I just sat. And I realized how much I like to kind of go to things to numb out what I'm feeling, whether I realized it or not. Things that I thought were good, um, like a sermon or a podcast or an audiobook or an actual book. In my mind, I would think, yeah, I'm nervous. I'm stressed out. I'm anxious right now. So let's listen to a sermon. Let's listen to a podcast. And I thought that was such a great thing. Like I thought I was, that was the right move. And what I didn't realize is the power in saying, no, I'm not consuming anything right now. Like right now, I am actually just going to have the faith to sit in what I'm feeling and to talk to God about it and have faith that either by talking it with him, I'll talk through it and I'll find peace in that or he'll just give me peace. And I'll tell you what, that's a type of faith muscle I have not exercised my entire life. Um, as much as I've grown to just love Jesus, it's what I love about your relationship with Jesus is, is, is that it's a relationship. It's constantly growing. And I would say it wasn't literally until two months ago that I've learned the power, heck, a couple, like a month ago, a couple weeks ago, I've learned the power and just having the faith to take it slow with Jesus. You know, uh, I like to move fast. I like to, this is literally my to-do list for today. And this is a light day for me. This is a very light day for me. And because typically on Wednesdays and Tuesdays, I have podcast interviews. And today I had two reschedule, or I had one reschedule. So I'm filming this instead. And so it's a really light day. And even then, I love checking things off the list. And I love moving fast. And the while that's good, and God uses that, what the problem can be presented is when you go so fast, you don't stop to actually look at where you're going. And for me, when I was a few weeks ago, like experienced corporate wise, my, my company had layoffs and I had literally just gotten there. And so now waiting until my next step, um, I have this in-between period and it's been so cool because I've been able to put a lot more effort into these things, which I typically don't get to do, but I'll be honest, it's presented a lot of insecurities, a lot of insecurities, and it's presented a lot of space for things that I thought I had dealt with, things that I didn't think were a problem to present themselves. I recently launched my next book, uh, book six, Single Not Incomplete, Finding Fulfillment in a Season the World Tells You to Rush Through. And it's a devotional. And it's so funny because I was 
uh, sending my friend. If you're if you're like a good friend of mine, you know this about me. I send voice messages, and I encourage my friends to send me voice messages because I'm like, I want to hear your voice because. I know you can't always call. And the thing with texting though, is like, I, when you say you're fine, I don't know if you're really fine because I can't hear your voice. So I am like, and the same for me. So I'm the queen of like, send me a voice message and I will send a voice message. So I was voice messaging my friend and I was telling her, I was like, Alexa, I have never been more nervous in my entire life than, um, or in, in my entire book launching life than launching this book. She's like, why? You've done it so many times. It's like, ah, you know, I, um, I think it's because of the topic. It's because of the topic. And it's so funny. I was talking with a friend the other day. And if you listen to my live, this is what we kind of touched on, but we, it was on this idea of surface level vulnerabilities. Um, and that we all have these things that we present as us being vulnerable, but really we've said it so many times. It's not us actually being vulnerable. It's us wanting to be considered as being vulnerable by talking about something that most people would think is vulnerable, but it isn't for us. For example, I had a really disordered relationship with food in high school and it is not hard for me to talk about anymore. I mean, I was part of a nutrition business for like six years where I literally told my story every day because it was those products that my my regimen to get back to healthy were incorporated with. And so I've told that story. I've shown that scar so many times. It's not, I mean, whereas most, some people talking about their eating disorder is incredibly vulnerable for them. And that's a huge step in them showing you a part of their past. And, and I am, and it's amazing. And that's why you have to be sensitive when people share their story. Cause you don't know who's who and where's what in their, their timeline. But for me talking about my eating disorder, I'm guilty of sometimes using that as means to bridge a connection with someone. Like they think I'm being vulnerable when really, um, it's just not that hard for me to talk about. And so there's these other things though in my life that I, um, I hope you can't hear my phone going off. I'm getting so many texts right now. Um, there's these other things in my life that I do have insecurities about and they're not surface level. And I don't talk about them with everybody. And like, not even on this, I think I've talked about some of them if ever only like once or twice on this podcast and there are things that they actually hurt and my singleness when I was 23 and 24 was that it was something that it hurt um coming from a background of associating my worth with my performance and accomplishment for worth. And you're like, what does that have to do with singleness? Well, as a little girl growing up watching Disney princess movies and being in the, the Southeast of the United States, I looked at a woman having a relationship is almost a metric of success for a woman. Like having a man to love and to be loved by was a measurement of your worth and how beautiful you were and how, I don't know, like how worthy you were of love and 
how successful you were. It was a ingredient in that success recipe. And so when I was 23, um, and I was, I was coming out of my last relationship. It's funny because I, I wanted to be single, like for a little bit in my twenties. And, um, initially I didn't know if I was going to be able to get to do that with this last relationship I was in. And then I was like, you know what? No, like I do, I want to be single. I want that for myself. 85 year old, 87, 86, 88 year old Annie wants to be able to say she had some time in her twenties to live by herself and to, to learn more about her creator with just me. Because again, the conditioning growing up, you're only as worthy as a lot of times, like the guy that you're dating. I went literally from relationship to relationship for about a decade. And so at 23, I was like, no, I'm going to take this time. And I really want to get to know God with just Annie. And that was fun until it wasn't. You know how we do. I was like, okay, three months into it. Lord, this has been so fun. Now my friends are getting in serious relationships. Oh, that my friend just got engaged. Oh, now she's married, wants to have children. Then 24 came and I was like, oh my gosh, all my friends are married. All my friends are engaged. Like, Lord, this single season season has been great, but I think the time's up. Like, let's let's meet somebody now. <laughs> you know how we do. We like want something, and then when we have it, we're like, er, I did not want it for this long. And that's how I felt. And what's funny is when I started wanting a relationship, it's like when all the relationship doors shut. And either I would meet somebody and they thought we clicked, and I was like, Oh, we ain't we ain't not clicking. That was not English, but we that sentence was not clicking, just like these people that I was meeting. We aren't clicking. But then there was also people I met that I was like, I like them. They're great. And they didn't think the same about me. And then there was people where we were mutually like, this is just, you're great. You're awesome. This is not it. And um, it was hard. Like it was hard as a single Christian girl with like values that I wasn't willing to negotiate on, um, to be in a, in a group where all my friends were not in that season. They were all married or engaged or in very serious relationships that were headed that way. And I remember for a season, it was like literally so, it was scary. Like it was scary. Um, just because I didn't, I didn't know. You never know. I still don't know. Like, and that's why when I was so nervous about launching the book, it's because I was sharing an insecurity of mine that, that like actually cut really deep when I was 24 and 23. Um, and I had to do a lot of work. I had to do a lot of unconditioning, unconditioned, deconditioning, unconditioning undo the conditioning in my brain that had associated a relationship with worth because that's what I had seen, not seen growing up, but just in movies and stuff. And that's what I thought. And I know for certain there was a reason God like closed so many doors in that season because he needed me to learn that lesson that before I'm a wife, before I'm a girlfriend, I'm a daughter. I'm a daughter of a king. And I can be so full within myself and not have a partner. And I, I say that like literally knowing that's so cliche and so many people say that. But what I experienced and why I wanted to write that book is because my external 
situation, it did not change with the writing of this book. And so when I wrote that book, I shared my insecurities, I shared all the jazz and all the the revelations and the the practices that I did, they're what I'm still doing. Like it, it was it was not a partner that came into my life that finally made me complete. And um anyways, all that to say, I was so nervous before the book launch cuz this was like a real deal insecurity of mine. I truly. Like I I remember being 24. There was one day when I was at my last corporate job in the office and like two of my good friends that I literally sat in between. They had both gotten engaged on the same exact day. It was actually amazing. And they're amazing people. And I'm just, I was so happy for them. And then I, and I was so happy for them. But then, you know, you get home and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'll ever have that. I don't, like, I don't know if I'll ever have that. Um, I hope. I pray, but I don't know. And you start thinking like, wow, maybe that's that's an experience that they get to have and and I'm not going to. And then you start thinking, well, God, I mean, you start feeling like God gave everybody else this gift that he doesn't want to give you. And you start feeling left out. And like, well, what's wrong with me? Like, yeah, you call me holy and set apart, but I don't really want to be set apart in this area. You know, and you start, and I'm talking about relationships, but for some of you, your insecurities around, you know, you feel like you don't measure up in regards to the the promotion track that you're trying to run on or your friend group. Like everybody seems to have the friends thing figured out and you're in college and you don't, or you are, you just, you're a freshman. You just went through Rush or I know at Wofford, my college rush was like second semester. So you're about to go through rush and you're freaking out that you're not going to get rushed by or accepted into the sororities that your friends are going to get accepted to. And then you're like, well, sophomore year, they're all going to be living together. Who am I going to live with? And you just feel like you're going to be left behind. And you feel like God is giving everyone this gift that you're praying for that he doesn't want to give you. And it can make you think because God is cruel because he doesn't like you and your thoughts just go crazy. And what I realized is like, God is good. And so anything in your life that happens to you or that you go through, you have to look at it through the context of God is good and he's good at being God and he's a good father. And so there's something in your life he's trying to do. It might not be out here, but it's in here. And, you know, I say all that because that's the place I'm in now, but good night. I remember that season of just being so insecure about my singleness. I didn't want to be that single friend that everybody was trying to set their other single friends up with because she was the single friend. And like, I didn't want to be the friend that unfortunately couldn't go on all these like fun double date nights, because what was I going to do? Like go out with two other couples just by myself. And, and I get it. Like it's awkward. And so I felt like for a season, there was just so much I was lacking. That's what it was. I felt like I was lacking and it made me insecure. And that right there is a real deal insecurity of Annie Mayfield's that she experienced in her life. And so writing this book and sharing that with you all, it was really hard. <laughs> It's really hard. Um, in fact, I resisted this book. I resisted it so much. I did not want to write this book. God put this book on my heart like when I turned, uh, like right before I turned 25. So I don't know, about like eight months ago or so. And I was like, nope, I'm not touching that. I'm not going there. I'll talk about my eating disorder. I'll talk about um, 
I'll talk about how hard it was for me to find good female friendships. Like, I'll talk about that stuff any day. Singleness? I'm not talking about that. No. Why? Because that actually hurts. Because that was actually something that it was almost like I was embarrassed that I was hurt by it. Because I like, at the time, like, I'd like to portray this, I'm so confident, I'm good, all me in the hood, I'm fine. But, you know, it's typically the stuff we like, we're like, we're good, we're good, we're good, that we're not good about. And so through my own healing journey came this, this devotional. And um, I say that to you because, I mean, I'm not encouraging you to write a book to the world, but there is power in confession. And I use that word confession strategically because I spoke with a beautiful guest last week, um, Ann Beeler. She's founder of Auntie Anne's Pretzels. She, her story is unreal. I'm really excited for y'all to hear this. I don't know when this is coming out in um, relationship to that, so I'm not going to say anything here. But she, we talked about the power of confession and bringing things to the light. And it made me think about Jesus. When Jesus showed himself to his disciples, Thomas, if y'all know Thomas, he's the disciple that was like, you know, people call him doubting Thomas. Like he was like, show me where the nails were. I'm not going to believe it till I see it kind of dude. I think he's honest. Like Stephen Furtick once said, can we just call him honest Thomas? Because I relate to Thomas. I mean, I'm the kind of chick I'm like, show me. I want to know the evidence. I want to see, I want to see you. Like I want to see it. I want to be able to poke holes in it. And Jesus didn't brush that off. He showed Thomas where the nails were. He showed him his scars. And I thought, God is God. And Jesus is the son of God. Jesus could have come back from the resurrection perfect, pristine, like the kind of gods we think of like Thor or, I mean, just these like, you know, perfect gods. But he didn't. The son of God came back with scars. And I think it's because through his scars, we are able to know him. He's not the God that walks with you through the fire and helps you out of the fire and allows you to forget what led you to it. You're going to have scars. But in those scars, you can point back to how God resurrected you out of a situation. Jesus showed his scars. He wanted to be known. He wanted to be seen. He didn't hide his scars. He didn't come back perfect. He came back with scars. And there's a difference between talking from your wounds and talking from your scars. And that's why I knew. at an inkling, God, typically anything I struggle with is the subject of my next book. It, that's just always how it's happened. But um, you know, there's a healing process required. And at the time, 
I had an inkling when I was struggling with my singleness that this would be something I would write on one day. I was thinking when I was like 57, but when I started healing and when I say healing, it was not anything I did. Like this is not a 10 steps book. This is no, it, it really was. It was the peace of God that healed me and is healing me because healing is not a one-stop shop. It's not a, okay, check that off the list. Like it's an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing relationship. Just like with my eating disorder, even today, I have to check myself because when I get stressed out, old tendencies, old habits come back and I have to constantly talk to God about that and walk with God in that. God will never give you something that will make you need him less. And he, healing comes from him. So you will always need him with whatever you're walking through. But there is, is a healing process required. And when I started to heal, I was like, okay, when this gets scarred over, not that it's like I forget about it, but when it gets scarred over, I'll write about it. And so I did. And I say that to encourage you. There's things in your life that you're keeping in the dark that you're afraid to talk about, that you're afraid to bring to the light. And like I said, you don't have to write a book that everybody gets to read. But there's power in one, bringing your wounds to God and to very specific people. I think God brings people in our life to be part of that healing process. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. But once it's scarred, once it's healed, there is power in sharing how you got through getting the wound and healing from it. There's power in it because other people will be wounded the same, the same way. I know there's probably not a lot of middle-aged married men out there that are going to want to read my devotional, but you know what? If there's anything I've learned from being in Atlanta and being a single girl and just the people God has brought into my life is almost confirmation of this book the past couple of months. There are so many young girls that are struggling. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Um, there are so many young girls that are struggling with associating their worth with who they're dating. Or whether or not, okay, I'm going to cry. Um, whether or not someone thinks that they are beautiful or worthy of being called a girlfriend or a wife or a mom. There was one time someone told me that I wouldn't make a good mom. And um, that's still like, and I talk about that in the book too, but that was something that took me so long to work through like so long to heal from because I want to be a mom. And when they told me that it was gut-wrenching. And I think as women, we, and it's a good thing. Like it is a beautiful thing to want to be a wife and to want to be a girlfriend and to want to be a mom. And that's the nurturer in our, us. Like that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful desire from God. But when you go to means outside of God to try to get affirmation for that, to try to get fulfillment from that, that's when it's dangerous. And so I know for a fact, there's so many other girls that are struggling with that. And my prayer for that book was that my scars 
and how I healed from the wounds can serve as a survival guide for them. And you have something in your life. I think about my granddaddy, you know, he's not alive anymore, my dad's dad, but at his funeral, oh my gosh, he was, he was an alcoholic and he was in AA and we couldn't stop. It was a really cool funeral, actually. Like we just, people, we invited people to stand up and talk. It wasn't like a super traditional rigid, you know, cause I've been to both types of funerals. We just invited people to get up and talk and we couldn't like, we were like, oh my gosh, this thing is going on so long. Like we couldn't stop people from talking. They were like little, like they were like whack-a-moles just popping up. You know what I mean? And, um, but it was so cool to see. Cause I was like, man, you, I don't know if any of you, unless you're my cousins or my direct family knows even the name of my granddad, but my granddad influenced so many people through Alcoholics Anonymous because he wasn't afraid to show his scars. He wasn't afraid to say, this was something in my life that really hurt my family and people that I love. And it was a really dark season, but this is how God brought me out. And I'm such a blubber muffin. But I just, like, I looked at something like that and I was like, man, that's a man that is after God's own heart because Jesus came back and showed his scars. He didn't resurrect perfect. He didn't resurrect without scars. And so what in your life maybe has God allowed you to go through knowing he's with you in it? Because all things pass through God's hands, all of it. To where you can now use that as means for a survival guide for somebody else. And I'll tell you freaking what, that takes guts. It takes courage. And there's so many moments, even recently, like I published that book and I call them like the cringe moments. Like, oh my God, did I, you know, like, oh my God, did I just, did I just release a book on that? Like, did I, whoo, cringe, ooh, ooh, you know that like cringe feeling? And I sometimes think that's the enemy's tactic to get us not to do something that God wants us to do. All my life has been honestly accumulation of cringe moments. Like I have no idea how this is going to go. I know there's probably going to be people that make fun of me, that judge me, that (sighs) whatever have you. But if this can touch one heart, if this can touch one person, then it's worth it. And that's what I said to myself before I went live, before it launched. I was like, and that's what I said before any book. Um, but I encourage you, like, if there is something in your heart that God has given you and you've healed from it, friend, share that with someone in whatever capacity. It doesn't have to be on a big scale, but don't let your scars be stay in the dark and don't let your wounds, don't try to heal your wounds in the dark. Science teaches us this. Bacteria grows in the dark. Do you know what that means? means your healing is never going to be found in dark places. You need to bring it to the light. And there's power in that. And once you've healed, there is power in sharing your scars. Because there are people like Thomas who are wanting to see them so that they can too believe. Believe in your healing? No, believe in God. If you would have told 23-year-old Annie what her life looks like right now, 
I would be having a heart attack. Truly. Just if you were to look at it from like a practical, I write on paper, this is externally, externally what your life looks like right now. I'd be having hyperventilation. But she probably also wouldn't be able to believe you when she talks about what her life looks like on the inside. In the midst of so much uncertainty, there's peace. And when you've truly healed, you can truly say that. And that's when you can have these conversations with people that are walking through what you once were in. I'll leave you with this story. When I was, uh, so I have a birthmark on my leg. It's like on my leg. And it's it's a big one. It actually, it does, it looks like an angel's kiss. So growing up, my mom used to always tell me I was kissed by an angel. And I believed it. Um, and so anyways, I remember one time I was young. I mean, this was. I was like 10 and I did gymnastics. I had no business doing gymnastics. Someone with this much energy and I like to consider myself athletic, but I'm also very clumsy and I just no business doing gymnastics. But I uh, went to gymnastics practice and the girls were making fun of my birthmark. And I remember telling them like, I was kissed by an angel. That's why I have this on my leg. And they're like, no, you're weird. That's why you have a, like, I still, I remember it. So, so vividly, girls can be so mean. Um, and so the next day at practice, I put band-aids like all over my birthmark because I didn't want anybody seeing it. And then this little, this little girl, she was new to the gymnastics class. And this was like a couple of weeks. I'd, I'd show up and I'd have band-aids all over it. And they'd even say things like, oh, I'm so glad you finally got it removed. Like, blah, blah, blah. And um, this girl had one on her back. And you couldn't see it until she, like, took her – I remember her, like, shirt off and you had the leotard. And I saw, oh, she got kissed by an angel too. And I saw those other girls starting to say things to her. and. Oh my gosh, I'm going to think I'm going to start crying again. <laughs> I'm such a buffer muffin. Um, oh, but I hated it. And anyway, so the, I just hate bullying. I hate it so much. And I know oh, I hate it so much. Um, so the other, the next part is I, I took my pantate, I took it off and all that to say, um, if you hide your scars, if you hide the things that God gave you as pointers of healing, you don't know who you're preventing from also being healed. You don't know who you're preventing from also being seen. You don't know who you're preventing from also feeling like, I can get through this too. So my prayer for you is you have the guts. Guts. It takes freaking guts. To get in the arena, as my friend Teddy Roosevelt likes to say, 
because respect belongs to the one who's willing to be in the arena, not the critic on the sideline. And you're going to have a lot of people in your life that are critics. You're going to have a, trust me, I can vividly remember almost all my critics uh, that have been so mean, but you're going to have a lot of them. But if you're in the arena, that's bound to happen. And I pray that you're in the arena and with the right people, you're showing your scars because Jesus did that. So we too may believe. So I pray that you do that. So someone else may too believe in the God that helped your healing. I'm praying for you, friend. I'm praying for your peace, for your love, for your kindness, for your healing, for your bravery, for your guts. Always. Hey, beautiful people. I hope this episode blessed you. Two quick things before you tune me out. One, if this podcast means anything to you, if you find value from it, I really am asking you to leave a review. It helps me out a ton. It also helps get this word out to anybody else God wants it to be put on their heart. Second thing is if you're ever like me and don't have a full hour or 40 minutes to designate to a full podcast episode, I have a brand new podcast for you. It's the baby podcast of this parent podcast, Made to Shine. It's called Made to Shine Minute. It is literally 60 seconds every single morning of an idea, a nugget put on my heart, what have you. I hope it blesses you. You can find it everywhere you look for podcasts. Thank you.